Hello, and welcome to Military History Inside Out, brought to you by War Scholar. We talk about military history from ancient times to modern and everything in between. I'm Chris Alvarez, and today's guest is Monica Bonti, who has written about the facts and fictions of ancient Rome, and we focus on the ancient Roman military. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Dr. Monica Bonti, author of Ancient Rome, Facts and Fictions, published by ABC Clio, March 2020. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you for having me, uh, Chris. Um, what I'd like to do today is talk to you a little about, about the Roman military. I'll give you an overview, and then um, we'll look at uh, how it changed over time and uh, the impact of the army on Rome and on the empire, as well as what happened to soldiers after they were um, they were in the army, and mm-hmm. we'll see how the ordinary citizens viewed the uh, soldiers. Let me just first ask how um, how did you get into studying ancient Rome? What uh, you know? What prompted this book? Well, what prompted the book was I've been teaching Roman history for about nineteen twenty years, and. Um, I teach World Civ almost every semester, and I teach Roman Civ, and it's amazing how many students, uh, you know, still kind of would always say, oh, Nero and Caligula, you are crazy, I heard, you know, Caligula made his horse a console, and that Nero played the fiddle, and they have all this idea of, you know, Romans slaughtering Christians in the Colosseum, etc., and, you know, so... Um, when the opportunity came arose when uh, ABC Cleo asked me if I would be interested in doing a, a book, I, I, of course, I said yes, because, again, despite the fact that you've got lots of good websites and articles that one can find online, um, people, for some reason, just kind of like the old, you know, the, the misperceptions. I guess they're more fun, they're more exciting, <laughs> and that's what people, you know, they like to hear. It makes the Romans sound lots of fun or yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, then. So let's uh, let's turn towards the subject you uh, you mentioned, talking about the Roman army and, and the different aspects. Yes, uh, most people do not realize that um, the Roman army changed over time. Um, it went from a part-time soldier outfit, I guess, that was um, more like uh, deep roots in Italy and peacekeeping and fighting there eventually, and it it, it represented the will of the people. Uh, But later it was transformed to uh, like a force that was primarily concerned with uh, protecting the reputation of the emperor, and it was really kind of like a, a one of the main arms of the emperor. And it also um, it played a very big role in expanding the empire. And um, again, over time, it also played a role in weakening and the end of the empire. Hmm. But um, initially, the uh, during the early period of Rome in the Republic. The army was created to defend the Roman lands against its enemies. And again, and, and the Romans, like many modern countries, say that they only um, attack to defend against invasion. The, the key to their success was not that they were, um, they were any better than anybody else, but really that they were efficient and organized, and they also, again, uh, their, tra- their training really uh, helped all that. It went from, like I said, like this volunteer force where you would rot, you would fight for just, you know, for a campaign, uh, and then afterwards you'd go back and do your to your farm, because the Romans considered themselves uh, citizen soldiers, and the Romans also thought that if you know, the Romans had something to go back to, that is their farms, they would fight for Rome. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, only people that held land were allowed to be in the army initially, and they paid for their own um, armor. Uh, poorer people who were in the army uh, might use slingshots or the like. And again, it was just a temporary thing. And uh, the, the verb in Latin, legio, it's levy, like they would again. They would raise up troops for a specific battle, and not, you know, again for any length of time. Now, of course, the elite 
uh, were in the cavalry, and again, um, others were, uh, you know, the foot soldiers that were fighting. And um, initially, they fought in the form of a, a phalanx, which was very similar to how the Greeks fought. And the good thing about the phalanx, it was, it made you almost invincible from the front. And it, imagine uh, you have this front line of soldiers and people behind them, and they had their uh, their weapons sticking out along, and then they have their shield, and they would kind of go, and they could really um, kind of kind of roll over the uh, enemy. Mm-hmm. However, um, it did have its limitations. Like if you had uh, rough terrain that would disrupt it, and um, it was slow. And also, you could be attacked from the flanks, you know, because it was kind of so rigid. And after a number of very costly defeats, including being sacked by the um, the Gauls, the Romans changed their uh, fighting style to adapt to the warfare. And again, that's one of the secrets of the Roman army. Again, it's discipline and it's ability to adapt. And... um, what came up with Nick was the maniple system, manipular. Maniple means handful, and this was made up of smaller standalone units, and um, they could fight in isolation, whereas, again, the phalanx was just kind of all tightly knit together. Mm-hmm. And another problem was with wearing so much armor, uh, the men in the front would get tired, and they couldn't fight any longer, and now I get, so you, you'd have fatigue. And so now you had advantages. You could replace the troops um, because they could go to the back, and then others could, you know, take their place. And you also had more mobility. And again, it allowed these fatigued units to uh, retreat, and you had reinforcements and movements of troops. Um, however, over time, the Romans found that when they fought the hill tribe and uh, larger powers, the, the maniples were too small, and so again, the Romans, again, reorganized their army. And this was with um, Marius, the general Marius, in 107 uh, B.C. Um, now, previously, I think I told you that the soldiers had to pay for their own armor, which could be expensive, and Marius changed the eligibility requirements for the army. And with, with, with Marius, you see more of it, you know, it, it's working its way towards having a professional army. Mm-hmm. Only land-holding men could be soldiers. Now, he just said, you know, because if, if men had land, they had something to go back home to. He abolished this, and you had um, all these landless peasants that joined in. And um, he also got the state to provide the equipment for this army, and, so, and also for the common masses, they saw the army as a way to gain glory and riches. And, uh, and naturally, they flocked to his um, army. He also reorganized the army into a larger unit, the cohort. And it was a standard tactical unit of a Roman legion. It had 480 soldiers, but the, the number changed over time. And another thing that's probably one of the most important things was Marius incentivized, incentivized his men to become career soldiers. How he did this was they had pensions uh, for retired soldiers that would be paid out after 20 years of service. And also, a plot of land was also given to retired men from conquered land. Again, this was uh, the final icing on the cake was you were going to get pensions because it paid out after 20 years. And so this was a really, really good thing. And as time went on, too, you also had, when, you know, the army was responsible for lots of conquest. And what happened is they brought in other soldiers, so you had auxiliaries as well. Mm-hmm. There was one negative thing involved with Marius's reforms. On the one hand, it, it allowed Rome to expand into a, a vast empire, but also, in a way, it brought about the the, uh, the beginning of the end of the Republic, because now you had an emphasis on, on career soldiers that were paid directly by their commanding general. And subsequently, the army's loyalty shifted from the state itself to that of its generals. And um, again, before this, soldiers were recruited for a campaign, and then they were disbanded. 
And these soldiers would now remain in the Army 15 to 20 years. In this time, they had you know, intensive contact with their generals, and many of them were very charismatic, such as Julius Caesar, for example. And this would, you know, result in just great loyalty. And, um, and starting with Julius Caesar, uh, you also had uh, used his armies uh, as a tool to gain political power. And again, um, Roman legions became the personal armies of the generals that led them. And what happened was Rome suffered under a civil, uh, series of civil wars, and it resulted in the end of the Roman Empire and the establishment of, of Julius Caesar as a dictator. I'm speaking with Monica Bonti, author of Ancient Rome, Facts and Fictions. You can find more information about her work on her academic webpage at the University of Louisiana, Monroe. Please rate this podcast on whatever podcast feed you're listening to it on. Your ratings go a long way in increasing the listenership of this podcast. Please sign up for my newsletter at warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com. Please post your comments about this podcast or the episode on Facebook at Warscholar or on YouTube at Warscholar1945. You can contact me directly on Twitter at Warscholar or on Instagram at Chris Alvarez War Scholar. If you like science fiction, fantasy, and horror, please listen to my podcast, Full Contact Nerd, also located at chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. If you like outer space business, technology, and policy, please listen to my podcast, Spacewalks Money Talks, also located at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. And after his, after his death on the Ides of March, 44 B.C., Octavian, along with Mark Anthony and, and Marcus Lepidus, also got into another civil war with the uh, Caesar's murderers again, and then they ended up disbanding, and Anthony made an alliance with uh, Cleopatra, and then Augustus came along, and he was victorious, and he was able to unite the fragmented legions you know, to kind of coalesce around him because, you know, he adopted uh, Julius Caesar's um, name and, 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 and he inherited his money and he was able to get all of these troops. And um, it is under Augustus that you have the army that really became, you know, devoted to him. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he, he, um, he disbanded uh, some, of the, some of the legions. He, he decreased them because he didn't want to, you know, same thing happened to him. Him, what he did, mm-hmm. and he also set up a like a military treasury in six in the year six. And Suetonius says the purpose of that was like, well, you know, what do we do with these veterans after you know they're they're in the, in the military? And um, it was to prevent like uprisings and the like, and, and also get a way of giving them service. And um, under Augustus. I think the state was paying something like uh, 58% of its money was going towards military, but if you count the pensions, it was something like 71%. With Augustus, uh, you also see now um, with the expansion into other territories, you have uh, you see that the um, the troops were now you know settled all over you know all over Rome, and you know the. The good thing about that was um, it, it was beneficial. It had it had impacts, both good and bad. And um, you know, the bad impact obviously is for the natives; they lost their freedom. Um, however, the Romans were not ones to go in there and you know just kill people for no reason. They would have they would have said, "Look, we want to welcome you into the Roman way of life." And they really thought that you know this would change people, and it did change. And subsequently, you had um, military camps eventually became cities. And because um, you had a large population of soldiers, you know, plus additional people, the hangers-on, uh, you had, although soldiers were not allowed to marry, uh, they would generally take up a, a wife, a local woman, a consort, and they had children, have children, and obviously they could, uh, you know, again, they could keep people safe and, you know, keep the town safe, and... It was also really the backbone of Roman power. You really had the, you know, the uh, Romans were allowed to conquer 
so many of these different tribes and peoples, and with because of their military, uh, they, again they did have military superiority, um, but also the army helped to um, help the economy and, and get when made you know Rome politically strong because you know with the roads and all the other things that that, that resulted from you know the conquest um, because you know once you won the war how are you going to keep the peace mm-hmm. and the Romans would build towns. They, the, the soldiers would have to buy local goods, and of course, you know the Romans liked nothing better than to um, have the elite you know, to quote Romanize the elite and um, or assimilate culturally assimilate these people. Mm-hmm. And um, but again, uh, trade flourished, and um, so these these were some of the good impacts for the Romans, and and, and some of the you know the, the local elites would do quite well, and again. Um, over time, you did have uh, cultural assimilation. Soldiers were away from their families because, you know, they, they didn't want the soldiers to marry because, you know, they didn't, they wanted you to kind of bond as a unit mm-hmm. and not be thinking of, you know, your family, uh, you know, your children and back in Rome. or uh, And so that was, a, which is a, they ended up having local, again, local children with local women. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they were away from their families, and so what would happen is they would kind of like get in with the locals, and um, also uh, a barbarian who was a non-Roman could also become a Roman citizen. And, you know that was something that was highly um, it was highly sought after. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, and really, um, really one of the keys to the success of the Roman Empire was the way that it was it was able to assimilate people over time. And, again, in, in Italy. Um, this was before, of course, you know, the Romans expanded the empire. The conquest of Italy, uh, the Romans succeeded because they offered, um, you know, different, uh, different, different types of citizenship deals to some of the Italians. And, um, that was key when, um, when Hannibal came and attacked Rome, Hannibal expected the allies to all, you know, turn on Rome. And of course, this happened with some, but, after the social wars in, in the 70s BCE, all Italians were made citizens. And, and, and over time in the provinces, again, this led to people having a loyalty to Rome. And again, and so the, uh, after Augustus um, established the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, you really, Rome was very relatively safe and, and didn't, you know, didn't, See civil wars like it had been just before, you know, at the end of the Republic. Yeah, and again, uh, it was really, again, good for someone who lived in the provinces to become, you know, a Roman citizen. Now, not everyone um, assimilated. For example, um, you know, the, the Jews refused to assimilate, and um, which led to the destruction of the, of the Second Temple by uh, Titus in the year 70, mm-hmm. um, but despite that, the uh, Jews did like the Roman baths, by the way. Um, they also, the Romans would destroy, uh, they would use their army, you know, to put down rebellions or to just, you know, again, as we've seen in, uh, with Boudicca, um, and so, you know, again, the Roman army, I don't want to paint this as a picture like, oh, it's just really wonderful for everybody. It wasn't wonderful for, for, wonderful for everybody because, you know, for example, Julius Caesar went to war with the Gauls just for, you know, gaining money and, uh, you know, for political reasons. And um, so it, it could also, you know, that could be a, you know, that could be a negative, um, a negative thing. And also it was kind of a two-way street. The Romans did, were influenced by some of these other cultures. Uh, for example, in, in Britain, again, you had at Vindolanda, early on you had uh the soldiers that were stationed there, they were drinking Roman wine, but over time it changed, and they were drinking, like, beer and ale, like at the local cast. <laughs> so you see them there. Mm-hmm. And also, you see different types of uh, religious, religions adapted, especially the Romans really liked Egypt. Um, uh, they adopted the goddess Isis. She was like a mother goddess to them. And um, you find temples to Isis all over. I mean, they're all the way up in England and um, just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And interesting thing is the Romans also adopted mummification, but they also had this kind of a mummy mask that was painted and attached to the to 
the mummy, it's very realistic looking, and uh, outside of Pompeii, these mummy portraits from the Fayum in Egypt are like, you know, few examples of, of like Roman painting that actually do survive. And again, so, um, you know, another thing that the Romans got, like I said, were these auxiliaries. And, you know, these auxiliaries, you know, because when, when Rome went in and conquered an area, it was really interested in taxes and in auxiliary troops. And again, that was their success in Italy. They had, you know, it was, it was you know, they assimilated people into their ways. Of course, this doesn't mean that, you know, spreading Roman culture was all what they wanted to do. Um, it did help consolidate their power, but they, mainly they needed people to serve in the armies. And, and after the first century, uh, more and more of these people were auxiliaries. Again, um, the Romans thought they'd get a great understanding of the Roman way. However, um, you know, some of their biggest enemies came from within. Arminius, for example, uh, you know, at the Tudorburg Forest, he he was even, uh, he was a Roman citizen and he was made a knight. You also had uh, Jugurtha in North Africa. And um, someone even talk about uh, Spartacus uh, as being, you know, a rebel. And, and they learned, you know, they learned as being an auxiliary and then, you know, they would use it to their own, uh, for their own purposes. But of course, they, those these uh, were not successful. Another reason for being auxiliary is citizenship, but you also got, you know, you got a nice, you got a retirement. You got a nice pension and retirement. And um, after the first century, it was not so much, uh, they weren't getting land so much uh, because some of the veterans were complaining about the land. <laughs> and you also had, you know, they were not the quality of the land. And then you had also had during the time of the proscriptions, this is toward, this is uh, the period um, at the end of the Republic with the Civil Wars where, like, say, you know, Augustus, who people say, oh, he was this wonderful, wonderful emperor. You would think he was just, you know, what a great person. But um, when he was in the um, triumvirate with Lepidus and Mark Antony, what they would do is, and this started all way, way earlier, they would do something which is called a proscription, which means uh, your political enemies would be taken, the name would be made an enemy of the state. And subsequently, you know, you could be killed you know, some of you would be killed, and then they would confiscate your property. And a lot of they did this to give land to their veterans. And um, mm. and, and and Augustus was responsible for the death of I think a couple thousand people. So he was no, and you know, he was no, uh, you know, he was no better, no worse than mm. probably others. But again, again, after time, they just gave them money. And uh, like I said, that that pension was really interesting. Um, you also had mandatory um, savings for like your burial. You know, they um, they uh, you got a, you, you, when you when you um, retired, you got like twelve or thirteen years salary. And um, at the time of Augustus, then it was kind of fixed. In the very very early Republic, I think you could serve up to sixteen years, but they wanted you to learn to do like six years. I mean, you know, I may be mistaken on that, um, but uh, later on, you have a fixed um, period of 20 years for citizens, whereas the auxiliary had to serve 25 years. And it goes, their deal was not as good as, you know, the regular army. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Praetorian Guard, who, you know, they were established by um, Augustus, you know, to protect the emperor, only had to serve 16 years. So you had, um, again... Um, it was pretty good. Uh, the military treasury, like I said, um, was funded through an inheritance tax and sales tax. Again, you would get your retirement, and um, most of these uh, of these soldiers might settle, you know, where they either where they had spent the longest amount of time, mm-hmm. or at the place that they finally, you know. They were they were they had been working. Uh, they had been retired from the last uh, place of um, we call it deployment. Yes. Anyway, it was and of course you know if, especially if that again although it was against the law for the um, soldiers to get married, um, they they had their they had their their women that they did marry. Again, that was that was really you know a good thing for them and um, for you know because they stayed there. 
Um, and there, uh, although in Egypt you find letters from different places about you know, soldiers riding back home to their families, so some of them did get go back home to the families, but a lot of them did stay, and again, they became very Romanized over time. Uh, a good example, um, there is a, a, I was reading about a Batavian regiment, and you had evidence of these uh, these boxes where uh, they kept letters. So that, you know, this, this is another part of the Romanization. They are spreading Latin and also um, probably literacy to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And you also find them, you know, the Romans had these tombstones and uh, when they died, you know. And um, you didn't always die in battle. In fact, you know, some people never, like some people that served in, Spain and North Africa never went into battle. And, you know, they would build bridges, do, like, security, do a lot of training, all sorts of other things to do other than, you know, fight. And But again, you, you could die from disease. It was, you know, very, it was, it was prevalent um, in, you know, up in the pre-modern world, you know, before the discovery of the antibiotics. But when, with this burial, like, fund, most of the legionnaires um, would show themselves, uh, they give their name, the rank, the unit, and the years of service, and they might show them in you know, military garb, um, and their freedmen might be on there, whereas these Batavian soldiers and other foreign soldiers, uh, especially those in the cavalry, would show themselves on their horse, trampling like a barbarian, you know, an enemy underneath. That was just kind of like they liked, they, they borrowed that from the Romans. That's evidence of the Romanization. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of interesting that they did that. Another, yeah, and then, um, so, you know, again, they, they were, they had a pretty good, uh, yeah, they had a good life to a certain extent. I mean, um, the lower rankers uh, obviously weren't as, as well off as the, you know, the, you know, the centurions and the like, but, uh, you know, it, it was it was a good life for them. Again, it was a way of having a steady income. And again, you, what's really interesting is you do have letters from um, Egypt that talk about, I guess, uh, I guess one family was, uh, you know, talking about their son. I think his name was Eon. I said, if Eon or Ion, if he wants to join the army, let him do it. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> and I believe in the Talmud, there's even a family that mentions a son like going into the military. So it was, you know, not a, again, it was a way of, you, you know, to have a job and, and, and have a, you know, a fairly decent amount of money. And uh, again, you'd have, you know, lots of benefits. And um, yeah, they were, they were, and, 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 the, and the soldiers themselves were quite proud of, of themselves, actually. Um, they, um, you know, their their belts and their sword, you know, they kind of like, they saw themselves as um, kind of like over-citizens, like, like we're like, you know, hmm. we're like an elite, not the elite, you know, in, in Rome, you can't, you know, Roman society was very complex, and, um, and these soldiers saw themselves as, again, um, these elite people, and you know, like they're kind of like the emperor's right hand man to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, again, they when they weren't, uh, you know, doing their their soldiering, well, they could get in a lot of trouble. Actually, they they, they were known for kind of some of them were known for like harassing people. Um, you know, there's uh, a famous example was a uh, again they abused their power. You would see this in um, the um, the Golden Ass that was written by Apuleius. Um, uh, there's a gardener uh, who's riding Lucius, who's the hero of the story. He's a man. He was turned into a donkey, and it, he, he goes on all these horrible, you know, these things happen to him. The entire book is like uh, it's really kind of a propaganda for the cult of, of ISIS, but. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, um, this poor guy, you know, he's this donkey. Oh, all these horrible things happen, happen to him. And um, everyone thought of these, these soldiers as being kind of haughty and very, you know, arrogant. And um, he, the, the soldier, uh, speaks to the gardener in Latin, even though, you know, they're in a Greek-speaking area. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And, and then he wants to take the donkey. Uh, you know, and he commandeers the donkey and it's going to take my luggage. And this gardener goes like, oh no, you're not going to, you know, uh-uh. he tries to, uh, 
you know, stop him. And first he's trying to be really nice to the guy, and the so and you know, then he's finally like begging, please give my donkey back. And then the soldier's like, huh. What he does is he beats the guy nearly to death, and then um, his the soldier and soldier friends they um, they get the magistrate to kind of like rule against them. You know, they would intimidate officials is what they would do, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, again so they were arrogant, and they got and, and of course soldiers had their own um, trials. They had you know the court, mm-hmm. and I believe one of the satirists talks about. Uh, the uh, soldiers, it's a benefit of being a soldier. Like, for example, if you were a civilian wanted to charge a soldier, that person had to follow him to the, you know, wherever he was going because a soldier can't be tried in absentia. Huh. He can't be called from distance. And so, you know, you know, and uh, you couldn't be sued if you were away on military business. And if you were charged with a crime, you know, you were also exempt from, like, uh, from being fed to the beast or being clubbed to death. And um, some, like I said, some would think of the Army as a way to kind of like evade legal problems. And um, you also had in, 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 a, in uh, a judge, a jurist from the third century complaining about this. And, and so it was, it was pretty rough. I'm speaking with Monica Bonte, author of Ancient Rome, Facts and Fictions. You can find more information about her work on her academic webpage at the University of Louisiana, Monroe. Please rate this podcast on whatever podcast feed you're listening to it on. Your ratings go a long way in increasing the listenership of this podcast. Please sign up for my newsletter at warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com. Please post your comments about this podcast or the episode on Facebook at Warscholar or on YouTube at Warscholar1945. You can contact me directly on Twitter at WarScholar or on Instagram at Chris Alvarez WarScholar. If you like science fiction, fantasy, and horror, please listen to my podcast, Full Contact Nerd, also located at chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. If you like outer space business, technology, and policy, please listen to my podcast, Spacewalks Money Talks, also located at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. And uh, soldiers talk about, you know, oh, they had some really terrible centurions that were over them. Um, one of them was awful. Um, he was terrible to his uh, his soldiers. Uh, his nickname was called Bring Me Another in Latin, Edo Auscom or something of that sort. And, uh, and, and what he would do is he had a staff that he would break over the backs of his soldiers as he beat, he would beat them like for discipline, you know, just like horrible person. Uh, eventually he was killed. And so, um, yeah, that was, so it's a, you know, that's really pretty awful. And, um, just stepping back to uh, their forms of Marius, um, when it went from, I guess that's the period 107 BC. Yeah, you right, said, right, right. You said that, um, you know, it went sort of from the, um, the, the land owning aristocrats paying for their own uh, armor yeah. to um, the state supporting uh, an army. Where did all that money suddenly come from for the state to have its own well, larger army? Well, again, uh, they would, uh, these proscriptions helped a lot. You know, the generals could, like, you know, raise money that way. You know, they, that's what they would do is they would, you know, they'd get their political enemies, and that's where they would get the money and also to, uh, to pay for the soldiers, and again, it was all—it was, it was a really uh, a horrible period. Again, I think that's why you know um, when Augustus became, when he ended it all and, and became you know the the single ruler, one man rule. Um, it wasn't that he was so awesome or whatever. That these people were just so tired of the of the you know just years of civil war from Sulla and Marius all the way down. It was just you know you read instances where. Slaves would take the place of their masters, and, and you know, and of course, you know, the you know the great orator Cicero was was killed by Mark Antony, and, um, and, and it was a really bloody, awful period. So this change, this transition, then was not gradual; it was a pretty abrupt um, change. Yeah, he just kind of did this because um, you know what happened was you know you had the requirement of holding land to. Um, you know, be in the military. Well, that all changed because during the Punic Wars, um, because you know, 
Rome went from, you know, again, you, like some battles, you could just come to home for dinner. You know, you <laughs> go off and come home for dinner. And uh, but now you had, you know, you, they were fighting all over Italy and overseas. And the Punic War, you know, they had to raise massive amounts of soldiers and, you know, lots and lots of people were killed. And what happened is that uh, Rome acquired so much land. And, you know, what happened was these these you know, and people were killed, at, um, and the farms were burned by Hannibal when he went through on his rampage through Italy, because he assumed that all of the allies would rise up and, you know, help him. Some did, but, you know, most did not, and um, it was a real scary time for Rome, and, and you know, they say that, I mean, even today in, in, in Italian, um, they could, uh, they would say something like the kids, you know, like the boogeyman or whatever, they would back then. They would say Hannibal at Portus, Hannibal at the gates, and I. It, you still have something similar to say like that in Latin. But anyway, so there was all this devastation. All these farms were destroyed, and what happened is, after this happened, you know, the, the wars of conquest in Greece and in, in, in you know Eastern Mediterranean as well as Carthage really transformed Roman society. The acquisition, you know, it, it, it just you had an you know, a provincial administration and the like. And, you, and of course, you had the good things like the Greek literature coming, but for what you have, the development of the, you know, the Roman mob. And what happened were these former, these people didn't, they all fought to Rome. They didn't own land. They couldn't, and they couldn't, uh, you know, they could not serve in the military. So it was a big problem for the Roman state. And so Marius kind of solved that problem by, you know, hey, look, I'll arrange for the state to pay for your armor. You follow me. And, you know, they would get wealthy. A lot of them did, did very well and got wealthy. In fact, um, I think it's one of the, when Vitellius was, you know, in the, in the, in the year before emperors, Vitellius, uh, his army went through northern Italy. And they pretty much, you know, like, they took all, the gen, one of the generals became, like, very, very wealthy because of that. So, and again, you had these people that would follow. Again, the, the big thing was Rome needed to, to raise an army. So it sort of solved that problem. They created another one, you know, like, well, these people are going to be more loyal to the general. Now, the establishment of a military treasury helped a little bit. It did help. And, uh, you know, so you had it in, in the land and that sort. But then later on in, in, in like the third century, you had um, Alexander Separus was murdered by Maxinius Thrax, um, and then you had a period called the Barracks Emperors between like two, 235 and 284. And you had just a bunch of generals that were being chosen by their, by their military. And um, also you had uh, these soldiers began, you know, they expected like kind of, they expected like uh, a gift of gratitude for some favors they might have done. They would expect this. In the, in the second and third century, this, bi this bribery was really crucial for any, any emperor, any successful ruler. You had to kind of pay people up. I believe um, Septimius Severus said something like, uh, like, ignore everyone else, make sure, just make sure you keep the army, you know, paid. And that's also why, like, Domitian was so popular, because he raised the pay for the military. And it was, it was really bad. And at one point, you even had the Praetorian Guard auctioning off the um, imperial office, hmm. and the the winner of that didn't last. So I mean, can you imagine our like presidency? Let's play the lottery and see who gets to you know. Um, it's kind of like that, and it was really very terrible because now you know you had the army, uh, the military uh, again, uh, especially the Praetorian Guard. Like I said, um, Augustus gave them. He left them a lot of money in his will. And, you know, like a lot of times, like when Caesar died, he would leave, you know, he'd leave money for people. Um, but by, you know, the time of Augustus' successor, Tiberius, um, the gifts of money were considered mandatory. And um, when um, Tiberius went off to Capri to kind of get away from Rome, poor, you know, tormented soul. And, uh, no, he, he was he was doing some awful things up in, up in Capri, but he left this Sejanus in charge of the Praetorian Guard, and Sejanus had his plan to take things over. Hmm. And when Tiberius got wind of that, he snuck back into Rome. But what he did is he uh, he had Sejanus slaughtered, and um, 
each Praetorian Guard was given, you know, a payment of gold to kind of not defend uh, Sejanus. And um, again, and, and what it, essentially the military would pick emperors. I mean, they, they picked Claudius, and, you know, and, and, and later on, it was just, uh, yeah, like I said, the I think the guy that auctioned, the, was, his name was Didius Julianus, so that was in the year 193. Mm-hmm. And so that would just be, you know, that, that was pretty, pretty, pretty dangerous. Again, later on, uh, it, it, it became really bad, and um, yeah, it, it weakened uh, the empire. It, it weakened the empire, and you know, kind of eventually, you know, it brought it up that it, it was one of the things that weakened the empire, and, and you know, allowed the collapse. I mean, obviously, you know, there you had these massive defeats at the time mm-hmm. from, you know. Uh, the non-Roman, the barbarians. Oh, by the way, barbarian comes from a term like they're kind of making fun of these people. I think it's from like ba ba, like the sheep, you know, like you know they're making fun of like ba ba. You know, they would make fun of you know people how how they spoke. So uh, again, that was you know again really a you know a, a kind of a negative uh, negative. You know, the army has good and bad, and um, again, it also depended on what side you're on. Because like I said, if I were you know like what. Julius Caesar did to the, you know, the Gauls, which is, you know, it was really a, like a genocide. It's considered genocide. So, you know, the, the, the Roman army could be really cruel. It, it was effective, but, you know, again, it, it it helped raise Rome up and, and hold the empire together. But in certain respects, it also had negative impacts, such as, again, like I said, you know, arrogant soldiers, um, looting, harassing people, and, you know, just uh, kind of looking out for its own interests. Mm-hmm. So um, let me turn to uh, the research you did for the book. I I, I, I guess it's much of it is um, called from what you've learned over time. Was there anything special uh, that you had to do for the research for this? Any additional stuff you had to look into? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to look into a lot of different things. I... Uh, you know, as I told you, I got my ideas from like, these common, commonly held ideas that students and the general public seem to have. It, you know, I had to find a lot of sources. Um, we, uh, again, uh, here at ULM, have a very, very limited classical library. It's got the low classical books that helped. Again, um, I used all sorts of things. I was able to find a lot of things on the internet. Again, you've got these wonderful, um, you can find the low classical series, you know, like Suetonius, uh, Tacitus, Dio, uh, you know, you name it, Salus, all the main Roman historians and even ones that are not so well known. Mm-hmm. You can go online and find them at like Livius.org or Penelope.org or Perseus, and, 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 and some they even have like a Latin or Greek translation that goes along with it. And I, I also use non-Roman, uh, non-Roman sources. I use like Josephus, for example, mm-hmm. also modern, I always say modern books, but books published in the last, you know, couple hundred years that, and, uh, that are available online, which is, again, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the Historia Augusta, which, from a, it's a, you can take it with a grain of salt, but it has some interesting tales in there. And again, you also have to be careful with um, some of these Roman writers because some of them had an axe guide, for example, Suetonius and Tacitus and, uh, and Dio Cassius were all members of the elite. And you must understand with after the fall of the Republic, the elites basically lost their power. Hmm. And Augustus was not so, he wasn't authoritarian when he was, he was like, well, I'm taking on more responsibilities. And he kind of made, and, 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 and several times he supposedly tried to give the, you know, say, oh no, I'm going to step down. Whereas his people in the crowd, no, no, don't do it. That sort of, um, that, that thing. So again, they had kind of an axe to grind. So they were kind of against the imperial system, and that's when you see with people like Caligula, who gets his reputation as being, you know, like a madman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a terrible person, no doubt. Uh, but he would sort of taunt the upper classes and be sarcastic, and like, you know, when he said he never, when he implied about getting his, giving his, you know, with his horse, he loved his horse, 
Um, it was almost like saying to the, you know, to the upper classes, you guys are so useless, I might as well have a horse in there, you know? And so that's like, some of these people had an axe to grind, they were against the imperial system. So you have to be careful with that. And again, I also use, uh, fortunately, I can read uh, a number of foreign languages. It's kind of required when you go into, like, ancient history. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to get a, a number of really good articles in German and French um, that were very important for a couple of the chapters. Uh, so there's that. And um, I also use newspapers. Um, the Vomitoria, actually, uh, the Vomitoria is really, um, you know, there's no, the only Roman that mentions a vomitoria, which is considered a, a like a room like attached to the dining area where after Romans had, you know, like, yum, yum, I'm just tired for my third, you know, whatever, they go in there and extract it, so to speak. They would go barf in there or whatever, like with a, had a little feather to tickle them and it all came up or, you you know, um, that is only mentioned one time by Macrobius. And what it is, it's a, it's a, it's like an entrance and exit. In, it's an architectural feature. The whole idea of the vomitoria, it, it came from, um, really, it's like a modern creation. It, it, it really got, uh, there's a guy that, from the Cambridge Ancient History who's a very well-known scholar who mentioned it. And um, I think the earliest known one goes back to something called the, American Cyclopedia in the 19th century. Um, but anyway, it's funny because even modern, a couple of modern scholars, uh, like, you know, this is where you have to check your sources. If you don't check your sources sometimes, you know, you're going to, uh-oh, you'll be in trouble. <laughs> and so that's what kind of, ha- you know, happened there. And, and so I, it was fun. I got to go on newspaper.com. A, a friend of mine um, helped me out with that. She got a bunch of these things uh, uh, mentioning the Vomitoria. I mean, there were literally hundreds to choose from. It was really a tough choice, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. there are good ones, too. You have them in, like, travel guides, in, in historical books. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's obvious that these people had never visited Rome. And, and so, again, so it was really fun using stuff like that uh, because, you know, you, you have to use a variety of, of sources. And, again, I also use some websites. There's some websites that actually have debunked some of these myths the difference between what they did and what I did was I added more documents and I I, I, I expanded on on some on, on, on one or two of the um, topics and so it, it's a little different but you know it's it's amazing how you know you'll find it all in my where I'm at you know that cause my book starts out like with each each chapter is broken down into like well what do people think happened this is followed by you know a section on how did this misperception spread and then that's followed by some primary documents which show a lot of times they're taken out of context or the like hmm. or just you know, like I said made up just like the uh, you know the vomitoria or even uh, Carthage must be destroyed is an uh, invention of 19th century you know German historians yeah like I said you have to you know you, you, you have to be careful with with all these sort of things but again you it, it, it was a lot of fun to write I really enjoyed it you know I, I really had fun it took a while but you know it, it was really good and again I, I I hope you know it's kind of like you don't have to start the, a chapter one you can just kind of start anywhere and read whatever like for example if uh, you know you really like gladiators you can start on that chapter for example hmm. what did you come across that was most surprising to you hmm Probably, you know, that Augustus wasn't as, like, you know, before I had this, just like, oh, Augustus is so great, and all this kind of, you know, and um, he was human, kind of like everyone else, and um, again, like I said, I found out that, you know, he did some kind of, you know, shifty things, you know, he, he killed something like, uh, he killed, oh, he put the prescriptions out, but one time for the anniversary of the death of, of Caesar, he killed 300 prisoners, like, you know, that was, like, pretty cruel. And um, and it was really funny as the fact that he wore, like, elevator shoes to make himself appear taller. <laughs> yeah. And, but he, you know, Augustus is really an interesting, very, very interesting character, because on the one hand, you know, he's called the father of his country, and, um, but he really didn't care about, like, his hair. He just kind of, whatever, one time, I, you know, I read something about different, barbers like he didn't really care so much about his hair and he he, he was you know this was kind of for you know like 
difficult with relations. But he, he had a pretty simple life, and the, that's why the Romans looked at him as kind of like, and then the writers, you really couldn't say bad things about Augustus, you know, and they could just they did say, say bad things about his successors, you know, regarding criticizing the imperial system. Mm-hmm. And I found out, you know, that was, that was kind of surprising. And um, another thing that I found out was very surprising is that, like, Nero was very popular, uh, even at, at the time of his death. Um, and, you know, he was nowhere near Rome when the fire broke out. And, you know, he um, he tried to, he, he rushed back to Rome and tried to fight fire. And, um, yeah, like I said, and, um, and what was really funny was that I found that, you know, after his death, all these Nero sightings, that was because, you know, he was so popular. I guess people, <laughs> like the Persians, you know, like, oh, you know, they really liked him. And, you know, he was, he was very popular with certain uh people and um, what really was surprising about him too is the fact that you know the upper classes are complaining about him but it's more like they're talking about what a bad singer he was you know horrid voice and you know they complained about that more than you know the killings that he did so that that was kind of interesting as well too was there any question that uh you had a lot of difficulty trying to um come to a conclusion on probably when i was doing the uh the hygiene, you know, I kind of got, you know, how do I end this thing? And, you know, because it was pretty, it was pretty, the Romans had a fabulous, you know, because I had all this, oh my God, I combined, you know, toilets, aqueducts, fountains, everything in there. It was like, oh my God, I have all this stuff here. So like, how did I kind of end that? How? And what I did is I just kind of, you know, like said, well, you know, well, the Romans are, everyone believes they were really hygienic. And it says, well, they had, you know, they had this great system that wasn't duplicated until like the 19th century in London and Paris. But my, my conclusion is it isn't the same standards as the modern world. You know, I, I mean, I had just a bunch of information on that. That one took me a long time to do, you know, so that was, I mean, it was really uh, very, very interesting when you think about, you know, but again, you, you read about other earlier civilizations that had showers and toilets, but it was not as like the Romans. It was very, very you know, very lavish, and the whole idea of this bathing and, and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, that almost anybody could go to the bath, you know, and, you know, public toilet. Um, I, I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, Vespasian, he put a tax on toilets, and his son Titus was like, really, like, oh, really, Dad, you know? <laughs> Ooh, you know, urine, you know, whatever, because, you know, that's, they use urine to clean the togas, and um, uh-huh. what happened was he threw, like, a coin at his son, and he said, smell it, he goes, smell it, he goes, money doesn't stink. And that's where, you know, pecunia non olet. And um, it's interesting because in um, in France, they had the, the public toilets were, were called Vespasiennes, and I think they even have some in uh, Romania. And these were public pay toilets, and it, it's a, like a, a, a memory, of, you know, when, when, when Vespasian put his tax on a toilet. So, you know, that, that's kind of a fun little object of, you have little tidbits here and there, they're just really kind of interesting. And it's nice. The Romans are good because it's a it's a good way of teaching of, of keeping world stu- world students engaged. Now, by the time you're teaching, you know, upper level courses, you don't have to worry about that. But some of the undergraduates, you know, we teach these large sections. When you start talking about you know these different topics, it really does engage them. And I think again, that's why probably why Rome has always been so fascinating for the you know for the general public. And you know, you also have our founding fathers who. Yeah. You know, we are, we're a republic, and um, res publica, by the way, means public affairs, roughly, that's translation. Hmm. Um, I, I, have, you, have you ever seen that statue of, of George Washington in a toga? It's in D.C. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with oh, that. Oh, you have. So, yeah, there's all that, you know, and, the, you know, the, the, the Capitol Hill, Capitol on Hill, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's why Rome is continues and will always continue to fascinate everybody because again it's a very fascinating civilization and you know we accomplished so much and at the time you know had the, the largest empire known to mankind mm-hmm. did was the roman uh, military talking about hygiene were they um did they maintain higher hygiene standards than other militaries do you know you know they they would have like they, they would you know where they were at they, a lot of times you would have like the bath I guess they would have to be you know they had doctors and the like and even like gladiators all you know they were kept in you know because in a way gladiators are kind of like soldiers because you know you give up your freedom you know and the ones that you know, volunteered for it you give up your freedom and you know you had access to that but were you cleaner than other people who it's hard to say you know I, I you know you know I guess you could say for the time they were uh, the Romans were you know pretty good but. You know. Hmm. They didn't, uh, you 
I mean, even the, you know, the, our word malaria comes from Latin bad air. And even the Romans knew that, you know, you had bad air. And, and that's why, you know, they would leave the city a lot of time, too. You know, they knew something like that caught. They, they didn't know exactly what it was. It's bad air. They didn't know, you know, it was like mosquitoes. Hmm. Did you have any difficulties getting the book uh, fin- finished or published? No, not not really. I mean, I um, no, that was not a problem. The problem was I, uh, oh, the last semester, oh, not fall semester, I did something really foolish. I, I taught six classes, and I was <laughs> trying to work on the manuscript. And in between this, I also had an injury. I had injured my knee, and I was like, it just, it, you know, I, I just couldn't work. I just, but no, I didn't really have difficulty because again i was i also have to thank our interlibrary or inter, ill interlibrary loans hmm. librarian at ulm she got me a lot of the sources and no I, again uh from the time i turned it in i had to do the changes that they wanted um i was done in like probably late december and everything came out uh, I think it was supposed to come initially at the end of February, but it was just you know a little bit longer. I think that's normal with most you know most things come out sometimes a little bit, but you know a few weeks doesn't make a difference. Hmm. But no, I would not say that. No, it was a really, very smooth process, and you know ABC Clio is great. You know they help you all the way through it, and you know they give you support and, and the like. So it's a, they're, they're, it's a very pleasant company to work for. Um, do you have any current writing projects you're working on? I'm working on um, something that uh, when I went to uh, UCLA, I, I took a bunch of dead languages. In fact, you know, um, and uh, I'm working on uh, something. I, I learned ancient Egyptian as a, as a living language, sort of. My, my professor was really interesting. He uh, was kind of a, like a trendsetter, I guess. He, was, he would, uh, anyway, I have the tapes. I have his tapes, and I have the... Um, my notebook and I want to put that together like kind of for him that you know and, and like put, try to put it online on hmm. um, and I you know that, again that's just something I've wanted to finish for a while and I let this interrupt because this was probably more important um, hmm. but there's that and I'm also looking at some you know local antiquities and in, in the area in, in the state that you know I like to you know do that and uh yeah that's Kind of, you know, I mean, if this went over well, I wouldn't mind doing another volume. It'd be great. But, you know, it depends on, you know, how, how things turn out. Right. Can people find you online? Do you have a web page, social media, or anything? You know what? I am, you can find me at ulm.edu. Uh, mm-hmm. My, my um, if you want, I can, I can give my, uh, I guess I'll give you my uh, address. It's B-O-N-T-T-Y mm-hmm. at ulm.edu. Okay. Now, I'm not in the office now because of, you know, the COVID-19, we're like doing things remotely. Mm-hmm. And so calling me there is not going to work. So the best way to get in touch with me is really by, via email. I wouldn't, you know, my phone is really kind of more or less just kind of like, you know, it's a track phone and I use it for, you know, and, and plus the fact the battery is dying all the time. It's not very reliable. Anyway, so probably email would be a good way of getting in touch with me because I usually respond within a day or two. Mostly a day. I, you know, I, I have to check it every day. I just started summer school now, so I'm, uh, you yeah. know, I'm around. Okay. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what? Despite the fact, you know, I was talking about how, you know, there's all these, you know, misperceptions and falsehoods about Rome going around. And, you know, a lot of it is just kind of perpetuated by the internet, internet to a certain extent. like... Hollywood movies, like, you know, Rome. Mm-hmm. The, the series Rome, for example, oh, there's this great scene where um, Augustus' sister is, like, smoking hemp and getting high. You know, I mean, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, and a lot of the stuff, there's, like, you know, silly stuff. And, you know, I, I still love to watch, like, the History of the Rome part, uh, History of the World Part 1, the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just dumb, and, you know, it's, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, Hollywood, if it weren't for, like, these Hollywood productions, like, I mean, like Indiana Jones, for example, that's not has nothing to do with Rome, but it like makes it makes people interested in archaeology. So I, I think that you know, um, just because you have um, you know popular culture, you know, kind of gets these things out, just, you know, makes people watch them. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to get people interested in in Roman history and history in general. So I, I don't, you know, again, that's really what I would say. I'm not. I I don't want to be this snooty person like oh god hollywood or whatever i mean i grew up in la so uh, not that not that i'm in hollywood but you know my brother-in-law worked as 
they're there and you know and I, I have nothing against that I think it's a great medium for people it's great it's very entertaining and they don't make these movies to be historically accurate they make it to make money and you know they, they might have just because you have a historical character in a movie doesn't mean it's true but again it's a great way to you know get someone interested in Roman history so yeah. that's I guess that's my closing that's my closing comment cool cool well thank you for speaking with me okay thank you very much it's been a pleasure thank you for listening you can find more podcasts like this on your favorite podcast feed under the title Military History Inside Out. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. One great way to support me is to rate my podcasts, either good or bad. You can find more great military history information at warscholar.org, on YouTube at warscholar1945, on Facebook at warscholar, on Instagram at Chris Alvarez warscholar, and on Twitter at WarScholar. Please support me by following me on those sites and liking my videos. If you like to read, don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I recommend newly published books. The subscription box is on my webpage. Thank you.